This Sunday is the second Sunday of Advent, so I have an Advent sermon. It's going to be about Mary uh, responding to the angel by saying, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That will be the text. Now, when Mary says she uh, is a servant of the Lord, that has deep Old Testament roots. And I'd like to show you that with one reading from Isaiah 49, the verses 1 to 6. It's one of the four servant passages in Isaiah. Sometimes the servant is Israel. Sometimes the servant is the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's not quite clear who it is. It could be either. And that's not a problem, really, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of Israel. He is the servant of the Lord. So let's read these verses 1 to 6 of Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant. Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We'll turn to Luke 1, and we'll read the immediate context of our text. Luke 1, 26 to 37. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. 
The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then come the words of our text. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the theme for this morning's message is, And it is indeed projected up there when we consider ourselves to be servants of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will make space in our lives to have his way with the word of God. Well, if that is going to be the main message, and it is, then it is probably good to ask at the outset, how available are you and I to the leading of the Lord? Also, when God calls us to do something difficult. In order to answer that question for ourselves, I can't answer it for you. So you and I need to answer that question ourselves. I can give you a little advice in how you might want to go about answering that question in the light of our text. You and I might first of all want to ask ourselves, do we consider ourselves to be servants of the Lord? And I think question and answer one of Lord's Day One probably gives a nice little description of that. In the beginning of its answer when it said, it says, I am not my own, but I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a servant of the Lord. You're not your own, but you belong to Jesus. And I can flesh that out a little bit more by saying we belong to Jesus or to God the Father in Christ Jesus 
We belong in that way because we have been created and redeemed to participate in the drama of God's mission for His glory. Participation. That's what servants of the Lord are about. We work together with God. We participate in His mission, bearing witness to the splendor of His perfect life of love in Christ. As I said when we sang, Christ has risen today. Displaying the splendor of that life, a life of wholehearted love for God, and a life of wholehearted love for our neighbor. That's the glory of God. God is love. And His glory is that humanity loves Him. And that humanity loves one another. And the more that we do that, together as the body of Christ the more we participate with God in rescuing this world from all its dysfunctionality, the problem of sin, the problem of death, and the problem of the devil, so that one day God can be all in all. That's the goal of Scripture. You start reading Genesis 1, and you continue reading, and I'm just starting 1 Kings myself. You continue reading in the New Testament, and you're spiritually preparing yourself for Christmas. You're reading Paul's letters and Peter's letters and you say, now, what is the overriding theme that ties all of that together? And that is, God is on a mission, a dramatic mission for his glory because he wants to be all in all in a new heaven and a new earth. And he wants the first installment of him being all in all to be reflected by the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the church today already. So that's the first question we ask ourselves when we want to find out how available are we to the leading of God. Do we consider ourselves to be servants? who are created and redeemed to participate with God in the mission for His glory. Secondly, the second question we can ask ourselves is, how much space, how much space or room is there in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work with and through the Word of God? Teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness so that we are shaped 
to effectively participate in this dramatic mission for God's glory. In our text, someone is also called to be available to the leading of God in her life. Someone called to give birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine that? You're going to give birth to God, the second person of the Trinity. God becomes a human being. That's the first thing you need to think of at Christmas. Don't right away think from, well, he's going to die on the cross. No, think first of all, God becomes a human being. Someone's called to give birth to God, more precisely the Son of God. Not through the involvement of a man, as normally children are born, but through the Holy Spirit drenching drenching the womb of the Virgin Mary. And to this calling, Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Even though it would mean that Mary would bear the stigma of unwed motherhood, and the stigma of the accusation of adultery. Even though that was the case, she said, let it be to me according to your word, because I am the servant of the Lord. Now, when Mary takes or refers to herself as the servant of the Lord, she uses a title that was given to Israel as we read together. And in order to understand that title, servant of the Lord, you need to go back to Genesis 12, verse 3, where God called Abraham out of, out of Ur, out of present-day Iraq. And he said to Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God calls Abraham out of the world, out of Iraq, out of the land of the Chaldeans, because God had spread all the nations, or he had spread all the people out over all the earth with the Tower of Babel. And no sooner has God done that, and he calls one man, one man that he had shooed out over the whole world, one man out of Iraq, and he starts a special relationship with that one man and his family. And he says, in you shall all the nations or the families of the earth be blessed. I'm going to use you, Abraham. And then at the foot of Mount Sinai, after God had rescued Israel out of Egypt, and he's about to give them the Ten Commandments, he says to Israel, if you keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession, even though the whole earth is mine. 
So the whole earth is full of jewels. And all the people in the earth are jewels in God's sight. But God has a crown jewel, as it were, a treasured possession, and that is Israel, out of all the nations. Now, if you keep my commandments, that's how you're going to function. And you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you know what priests do. Priests mediate. They're the in-between man between God and the people and between the people and God. They bless the people on behalf of God. They teach the people on behalf of God. A bit like a priestly function I have here this morning. You teach the people on behalf of God. And they also represent the people to God. They pray to God on behalf of the people. And that's Israel's function. Just like today, that is the church's function. You mediate, you're the in-between body of Christ, you know, between God and the people in Abbotsford. You represent God to the people in Abbotsford and elsewhere. And you represent the people of Abbotsford to God. You pray for the unbelievers in Abbotsford and also the believers, but especially the, the unbelievers because the unbelievers are not going to pray for themselves. And so you pray. You bring the needs of the people in Abbotsford here to God because that's your priestly function. That was Israel's function. But more precisely, the emphasis for Israel would have been on the first part of that in that they mediate the presence of God to the nations around them. And then Isaiah picks up on what we know from Abraham and what we know from Israel. And Isaiah says, Israel is the servant of the Lord. In other words, Israel does not belong to herself. Israel belongs to God. Israel was created and redeemed to participate in the drama of God's mission for His glory. Displaying the splendor of God's perfect life of love. Loving God, loving their neighbor. Displaying the wisdom and the justice of that kind of a life. The Christian life is about how humanity also functions properly. Tim Keller likes to say, when people ask him about, well, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? And he'll say, you know, the design of God is not that people engage in this kind of behavior or that kind of behavior because it doesn't lead to human flourishing. When we love God and when we love our neighbor, which means that we keep the commandments of God, 
that leads to human flourishing. And that embodies and reflects the glory of God. And Israel was called to do that. And in doing so, participate with God in rescuing the world from all the effects of sin, death, and the devil. What do you you think Israel said when God said to Israel, if you keep my commandments, you will be my crown jewel. You'll be my servant. You'll be a kingdom of... What do you think Israel said? Do you think they said like Mary, oh God, we are your servants. Let it be to us according to... You think that's what they said? Yes, they did say that. Although not in those words. They said to Moses, Of course, all these words we will keep. And then you look. You look through the Old Testament. And what's the picture you get? Was it true? No, they didn't. They weren't really the servants of the Lord. And why was that the case? Go under the surface and dig deep. Why did Israel fail? Because there was not enough space, room in their lives for the Holy Spirit to do His work with the Word of God. Teaching them. Rebuking them. Correcting them. And training them in righteousness so that they were shaped and formed to be effective participants in the drama of God's mission for His glory. There wasn't enough room. Just like Tim prayed for in his prayer about Bible study and reading your Bible. That there's enough room in your life. For God to do His work, or the Holy Spirit to do His work with the Word of God. That wasn't the case. And so instead of denying themselves, the Israelites asserted themselves. Instead of belonging to the Lord, they belonged to themselves. That's our problem, isn't it? We belong to ourselves. And so Israel failed. Israel failed in being an effective participant in the drama of God's mission for His glory. So what's God going to do? He had already tried with Adam. And Abraham is like a second Adam. And Israel functions like a second Adam as well. What's God going to do? That's two strikes. Like three strikes, you're out, but two strikes. What's God going to do? What would you do? I give up. God doesn't do that. Why doesn't God give up? Because God is so committed 
to the drama of his mission for his glory. He's so committed that one day he will be all in all. And if you want a little window, a little picture of what that looks like, in addition to what I've said, on the new earth, there will be no sun or moon. So what's going to give light on the new earth? The glory of God and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ will light up everything. Imagine if there were no lights in this building. Go even further, you're outside. And imagine if there was no sun and no moon and no stars. But you could actually see that the light that is present comes straight from God the Father and straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that God is all in creation, flourishes like it never flourished before, and God is all in a new humanity, a humanity that looks like the Lord Jesus Christ, that has a glorified body just like the Lord Jesus Christ. God is all in all. And God is committed to that. That's why he doesn't give up. And think about that at Christmas. Because, because God is so committed to that, do you know what he does? After all the attempts to use Israel, humanly speaking, to rescue the world from the effects of sin, death, and the devil, as I said, God becomes human. It's the greatest mystery. God becomes human himself. And he doesn't just become a generic human. God becomes an Israelite. He becomes the son of David. The servant of the Lord. Who's going to be a light to the world. What Israel was meant to be. And he's going to bring the salvation of God. Jesus, that is, to the ends of the world. Something Israel was called to do. So God becomes an Israelite. God becomes Jesus. And why is Jesus going to succeed where the rest did not? Well, there's more reason than one. But in the light of this morning's text... We can say Jesus succeeded because there was space. There was space or room in Jesus' heart for the Holy Spirit to shape and mold him, to shape and mold his humanity so that the Lord Jesus Christ was fit and equipped for the task to which God had called him. And now when Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord, you, you need to hear all of this. You need to hear this whole Old Testament background in what she said. Even though Mary 
would probably not have formulated it the way that I did. Nevertheless, you need to hear that. Even though she was a young girl. But she was a bright young girl. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. Just think of the Song of Mary. The Magnificat. All sorts of quotations from the Old Testament in the Song of Mary. Mary knew her Old Testament. So when she says this, in one way or another, you need to hear some, if not all, of what I just said in what she's saying. In other words, Mary's saying, I don't belong to myself, but I belong to God. And because I belong to God, someone who's called to participate in the drama of God's mission for His glory, and in doing so, rescue the world from the effects of the fall into sin, because I consider myself to be such a person, I will make room in my life. And with Mary, it was literally, I will make room in my womb for the Holy Spirit to do His work with the Word of God. And if you know that Jesus is also the Word of God, you get it, right? Make room literally in my womb for the Holy Spirit to do His work with the Word of God in my life. Even though it's going to mean that I will bear the stigma of unwed motherhood and the accusation of adultery. And this attitude of Mary continued to be her attitude. Because what did the angel say to the shepherds, children, in the fields of Bethlehem? What did the one angel say to the shepherds? You know, light shone all around him and so the glory of the Lord around the shepherds. Today is born in the city of David. It says three things. A Savior, who is Christ, the second thing, who is the Lord. And then the whole multitude of angels say, talk about peace on earth. So the shepherds come to Mary and they relay this message of the angel and the angels and they say, this, this is who your little baby is. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Lord of the universe who will one day bring peace on earth. What did Mary do with those words? She pondered them, and she treasured them in her heart. She meditated on them, allowing the Holy Spirit to use these words, to open up these words, as it were, allowing them to resonate very deeply in her soul, equipping her, continually equipping her, 
for the task to which he was called. And this servant attitude, Mary is a model. Mary is a model. If you hear this in our text this morning, Mary is a model for all, all believers. The Christian life is not about belonging to yourself. It's about belonging to God. The Christian life is about denying yourself and emptying yourself. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. And Jesus himself said, when he contemplated the cup of God's wrath, Father, let this cup pass me by. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about self-denial. Only when we deny ourselves will there be room, will there be space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to do His work in our lives, equipping us for the tasks to which God calls us even if the task is very difficult. And so I come back to the beginning of my sermon. How available are you and I to the leading of God in our lives? You need to answer that question for yourself. And I, for myself, And you remember the two little things that will help us. Do you consider yourself to be a servant of the Lord? Secondly, how much space is there in your life and my life for the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives with the word of God? Also, when God calls us to do something difficult. There may be some here this morning who enter the sanctuary with a burdened heart because you felt God was calling you to do something difficult. And you're wrestling with that because that's not always easy. And so you need to learn how to do that. And we all need to learn how to do that. Let me ask you, would you like to be like Mary? And be able to say, when God calls you, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, according to your word then this season of Advent is a beautiful opportunity to let the Holy Spirit use that spirit of Advent to cultivate that servant attitude in your heart. Because during the season of Advent, among other things, we remember 
the birth of Jesus. And it is so easy to just remember the historical birth of Jesus. Nice little manger, baby in a manger. And yes, around this time, we remember that Jesus was born in history. But there's a deeper level of the birth of Jesus. Not only was Jesus born historically, he also wants to be born where? He wants to be born in your heart and in my heart. And Advent is a good time to reflect upon that. Lord, I want Jesus to be more and more born in my heart. And so, go to the Lord Jesus Christ and live in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can assure you that a mystery, the mystery of Christmas will take place in your life as you increasingly experience that Jesus, who is born in your soul, born in your heart, generates generates his own servant attitude in your heart and in my heart. Amen. Let's pray and give thanks. Heavenly Father, thank you for those beautiful words our sister Mary spoke. Thank you that in speaking these words, she demonstrated that she was willing to make room or space in her life for the Holy Spirit to do his work with your word. And thank you that as such, Mary is a model for all of us about what it means to be a thankful and obedient believer who is available to your leading in their lives. And thank you, Father, especially for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was always your obedient son, who always made space in his life for the Holy Spirit to do his work in his life. And thank you that as such, he also truly modeled what being your servant is all about. And Father, we all want to be those kind of servants, sons and daughters. And to that end, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would drive us all out to the Lord Jesus every day again. Putting him on through faith and clothing ourselves with him so that we live in him and he lives in us. And may this season of Advent help us to intentionally live these kind of lives. And Father, we pray for the people in this world 
those who consider themselves to be their own and not your servants. Those who have no space for your word in their lives and thus unavailable to your leading. Bless all work of mission and evangelism to bring about a change and be pleased to also use the missional life of this local congregation for this. Amen.